Welcome to The Beacon of Truth. I am your host, Aaron Bull. Today, we're going to take a different look at black-on-black crime. The common consensus is that if we just treat each other better, black-on-black crime will simply go away. That sounds good, but it doesn't address the underlying factors. We'll get into it in 30 seconds. It never fails that whenever there is a police-involved or racially-motivated shooting, the question is always asked. What about black-on-black crime? It's often postulated that the way to fix it is for black people to treat black people better. But here's my take on that. Black-on-black crime is a systemic issue in our communities. It's always people outside of the community calling for an end to black-on-black crime. But the key to fixing it starts by getting those involved to see the benefits of it coming to an end. Black people are not inherently more violent or more prone to violence than anyone else. We, the people on the outside of the problem, are calling for an end to black-on-black crime because we have been given the opportunity to escape it and realize that there is more to life than that. We have people we want to get back to, homes we want to return to, and even jobs we want to continue to go to. The majority of black-on-black crime is done by our youth. The range is from 17 to 29 years old. Let's put this in a scenario. We have a kid we'll call Tony, age 18. Tony grew up in East Lake Meadows, a housing project in East Atlanta, Georgia. And for accuracy, this was a real housing project that was torn down and turned into a golf course, courtesy of gentrification. Nevertheless, Tony was born at Grady Hospital and raised in East Lake Meadows. His longest friendship averages two years because all his friends have been killed or incarcerated. Tony has never been outside of the city, except to visit his family in South Georgia and the six months he spent in prison in Albany. This was the year that he should have graduated high school, but he dropped out when he started making money from the street life. Tony is in fact a criminal, but he doesn't see himself that way. He just, he's just doing the only thing he knows to do that will put food on the table for himself, his mom, and three siblings. He's the oldest of four, and none of the fathers are active contributors of the household. So, at age 18, Tony feels that he must be the man of the house. He may as well be, since the bills are all in his name anyway. His mother works at Checkers and Kroger, so she's rarely home. She had him right after graduating high school. She does a delicate balancing act between parenting and alcoholism. Food stamps and sleight of hand keeps groceries in the house, but that's about all the guarantees they have. Tony isn't part of a gang, but he runs with the crew. The various activities range from stealing from the corner store, selling drugs, breaking into and or stealing cars, and some in the crew have been involved in a murder or two, but nobody calls themselves criminals. Nobody boasts about the things they do. They all come from low-income homes where they play a part in providing for their moms and siblings. There are no jobs for them that pay a wage higher than the licks they hit. The only cars Tony has ever been in was a cop car, the car his big homie drives when he drops off the drugs, and a stolen car they used to commit a burglary in the suburbs. The only time he's seen a nice house was right before him and the crew robbed it. The bus driver has a Ph.D. in psychology. The big homie has a master's degree in in business administration. 
Tony's cousin graduated five years ago and lives next door with his baby mama, and both of them are strung out on crack. The only people that he has ever known that made it out have either left in handcuffs or body bags. He has a couple of friends that left because their parents decided to take them out the hood, and needless to say, they never came back. You have the few that made it out with music or sports, but Tony can't rap, sing, or play sports. His world is small. The housing complex he lives in is what they call affordable housing, which simply translates to a jail cell you pay to live in. Alright, so I know at this point you're like, okay, cool story bro, but what's the point? I got you. I'm about to wrap it up. So, at the end of the day, the previous scenario may sound like it's a scene from a movie or a book, but the fact remains that it's really real life for someone. I only made up the name, but not the details of the story. So what I'm trying to get you to see is that black on black crime is more than just a mindset. It is a symptom of a bigger problem. We have to engage our youth and get them to see the value of life in general as well as the value in their own life. When you have an understanding that your life has value, you move differently. So together, we must work to increase the understanding of the value of life, but we also have to offer more options for those in these situations. Ultimately, black on black crime will decrease when black lives actually matter more. We cannot save them all, but we have to try. Together we can do this, but we must do it together. And before I go, please understand that I'm not giving any passes or making excuses for those that commit crime. But what I am trying to do is offer a little insight or a different perspective to the motivation behind it. As always, family, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to provide feedback or participate in the podcast, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I am your host, Aaron Bull, and this is The Beacon of Truth.